When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And the, the very likely truth is a number of songs had, you know, multiple meanings and references. So you could say a, a song like Big Dumb Sex, you know, he might put his tongue in cheek, cheek and say, this is a prison love song. I'm sure the, the lyrics apply to a number of different situations. And that's why you'd explore that theme or that idea. That's Kim Thiel, guitarist for the legendary rock band Soundgarden. We go back in time to talk to Kim about the band's final tour in 2017 this episode of Behind the Setlist. Welcome to Behind the Setlist, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. Jay, we've done almost 20 of these podcasts. This is the first time that we've done kind of a retrospective podcast. And who did we talk to? We talked to Kim Thiel from Soundgarden. Now, I've known Kim for a long time, and he's just such a thoughtful, intelligent uh, person, not just about music, but just about life in general. And it's just a joy to talk to him. He's got a a wicked sense of humor, uh, as we found out. And uh, I just really enjoyed the conversation. Soundgarden was formed in 1984 and became one of the key bands in the Seattle grunge movement that spawned Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and so many more bands. They had six full-length studio albums, plus a handful of EPs and live albums, and is probably best known for the 1992 album Bad Motor Finger, which had the tracks Rusty Cage and Outshined, and 1994 Super Unknown, which produced what might have been the band's biggest song. Black Hole Sun. The band's 1996 album, Down on the Upside, had the singles Pretty Noose and Blow Up the Outside World. Also a big album. Yeah. Uh, they broke up in 97. Singer Chris Cornell went on to record a solo album and form Audio Slave with members of Rage Against the Machine and released three more albums from 2002 to 2006. And then Soundgarden regrouped in 2010 recorded one more studio album, and toured until Cornell's death in 2017. What an impressive body of work. And it makes for a great set list to pull from, you know, from 1987's Screaming Life EP to, you know, uh, King Animal from uh, 2012. Uh, all so many great moments um, and such a great set list to draw from. Yeah, it's a really diverse set, and we focused on the set uh, that was just before Chris's death in the Detroit Fox Theater show on May 17th, 2017. And we also looked at a previous month of tour dates throughout the South and Midwest. 
leading up to that final show in Detroit. You know, he did talk about the songs, but he also talked about what it was like, you know, kind of on the road and when they were in the tour bus <laughs> talking about coming up with their publishing company names like In One Ear and Out Your Mother. <laughs> and I make music, you make me sick. <laughs> it was it was a different type of interview for us, one that was not set around a, a new tour um, or a current um, a current album, but I think really interesting and a, and a great chance to talk to, you know, really kind of a living legend in rock music. That's right. So without further ado, here's Kim Thiel from Soundgarden behind the set list. Let it roll. So, so, so Kim, let's kick it off. You know, there's a common cadence to a lot of rock bands, you know, their set lists. Uh, they start off up-tempo, maybe bring things down two-thirds of the way through the set, maybe ramp it up near the ending, drop a hit or two in the encore. But Soundgarden didn't follow that blueprint from all of the set lists that I looked at. It never followed that blueprint. Can you speak to kind of your theory, if you have one, on creating a great set list? I, th I think what you're saying in general is correct. And we did um, abide by those kind of dynamics generally, especially in the early days. Um, we like to mix it up and we'd mix it up at least for the uh, particular physical challenges that Matt might have, you know, but you might not want to do it two hour, two hour, 15 minute set and then finish with Jesus Christ pose. I mean, Matt could do it, but I mean, he's, he's, he's only human. <laughs> and uh, there's certain challenges, certain, certainly there were certain challenges for Chris's voice. Some things are, are more difficult or more, or, or demand more of his breathing and of his uh, vocal cords. But we would tend to start off with a bang and that's just like, let's go on. Let, let, let's hit him with something, you know, energetic and fast and aggressive, but we'll keep doing that and we'll follow it up with something like that. And then we'll do another one and then we'll bring it down a bit, but we're not going to do a ballad. We'll probably just do something that that's moody and dark, you know, which is a lot of our set. <laughs> and you start off with something perhaps visceral or trippy to get everyone's head spinning. And, and th that includes ourselves because, you know, Especially in the early days, we'd all have a couple beers before we went went on stage. So uh, we want to be into it too. We, it was a sort of a communal shared experience. We believed, um, at least in the early days. So we might not go to anything, you know, slow tempoed right away. We would certainly change the mood, but not the not necessarily the. The, the the tempo uh, slow it down a little bit but you know yeah but then yeah throw some hits in there save some for the encore <laughs> although we, we we would do black hole sun obviously probably our most successful commercial hit we would never throw that in the encore maybe maybe once or twice but we wanted the encore to be fun for us too so it was often something that's going to be a little bit more um you know to just just a little bit more physical, a little bit more. But we, now we're not. We, were, we weren't a, a visceral band. We certainly had a viscerality to us. We weren't that any more than we were, a, you know, an emotive or psychological band. You know, we, we certainly like, you know, fucking with everyone's head and ourselves as well. 
Um, so we would end with something that we certainly enjoyed. It was trippy, heavy, uh, maybe some energy, bring it back up. And, you know, songs like Black Hole Sun or Fell on Black Days may not fit that bill, but it depended. If we did a longer encore, we might throw it in there. Some of the sets we looked at, um, the one in Detroit in 2017, you opened with Ugly Truth, which is ferocious, and in some other shows on that on that tour, you opened with Searching With My Good Eye Closed from Bad Motor Finger. So you're opening with with yeah. with energy for sure. Um, yeah, we'd open with Searching a lot because, you know, it has all those dynamics within the song. It starts out kind of, you know, mellow with this droney sort of jangly guitar. Then it gets big and heavy. Then it kind of starts spinning around. So it did all those things. It, it, it was very... It was certainly representative of our set. Four of our, <laughs> certainly stylistically, it covered most of the bases. Can we try to find that, that set list and try to remember? I remember, a, you know, probably a dozen of the songs we played but not the whole not the sequence here I'll put it in the chat I have it here somewhere did we start with searching this time that was Ugly Truth oh here you go Ugly Truth yeah that, we started with that a few times too uh, I'm glad we did that one because it was from Louder Than Love and it's certainly a song we were proud of that that at times had you know was not included in our set you know when i say at times i mean like there may have been tours where where it was not performed yeah we, we end up with so much material we revisit some things and we thought geez why don't we play this more than we do it must be hard with all of that material like glenn and i were talking about some of the cool covers over the years like you guys did Helter Skelter or the Stooges Search and Destroy or even Spinal Tap's Big Bottom. There were some really cool covers, but the later tours that I was looking at, Soundgarden didn't play many covers. And I'm wondering, is that a function of the band? Just what you just mentioned, having this large catalog yeah. and so yeah. much that how can you squeeze it all in? That was it. It was just, you know, do we want to do this other band song? We love this song. We love this band. Do we want to, show some homage to them or do we want to do one of our songs and we had enough <laughs> i mean on paper what half dozen seven eight albums but they were you know, at some point they became double albums like super unknown and down the upside um each of those albums had like 15 songs on it and then <laughs> you get out echo of miles which was 50 songs and a number of those were regular parts of our set in the earlier days yeah uh, they just didn't make it on the albums because you're limited by the length you could record on the vinyl, you know, just before CDs and right. before streaming. So um, there's a lot to choose from. And we'd like to revisit one of, you know, an older song, like band in particular, as a player and as a, as a, as a writer, there's so many songs he contributed to Soundgarden or you know, that he wanted to do, but as a fan of Soundgarden for, th you know, three albums prior to that, you know, he wants to he wants to be able to play some of the songs that we recorded with Hero. So he'd often reference um something from Screaming Life, like Nothing to Say, mm -hmm. or or you know, something from 
like he I think he was the one who pushed to do I Awake from from Louder Than Love. And we did that for a while in, in the mid two thousands. I remember I remember distinctly, you know, Ben insisting that we played at Red Rocks. And so we were outside at Red Rocks on a hot night and we learned that song and it was a lot of fun. So yeah, it, it's it's for him to reference songs that he likes to hear that he wants to play, even though he didn't record them with us, is was a pretty cool thing and kept us on our toes. You know, one song on the some set list from that tour, not the not the set list from Detroit that we were just talking about, that what you did was Kyle Petty, Son of Richard, and that was a B-side uh, to Fell on Black Days from 94, and you played that in a bunch of shows. Yeah, we, uh, did, we did a handful of times live. It's one of those kind of songs that's fun to play live because it's kind of kind of heavy. It's got kind of a weird sort of motion to it, so um, it's not you know it's not heavy in all the uh, obvious ways, you know, it, it, rhythmically or whatever. It, 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 it was fun enough for us, and, and so we'd like to play throw it in there once in a while to play live. But you're right, it was it was a B side. It's you know if they could have made an album, you know, seventy five minutes long or eighty minutes long, we probably could have squeezed it onto the CD. Yeah. One person writing about um, who attended one of those shows said, Chris said the song was about having an asshole for a father. Does that sound about right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I I guess that would be a slam at Richard Petty. <laughs> so, but I think it was, yeah, I heard him say that a few times. And, you know, he'd introduce songs with different backstories occasionally, but generally there, he was generally pretty consistent. You know, sometimes tongue was in cheek. Sometimes it was sincere. Um, yeah. And the, the very likely truth is a number of songs had, you know, multiple meanings and references. So he could say a, a song like big dumb sex, you know, he might put his tongue in cheek, cheek and say, this is a prison love song. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um it would have different references and if, I'm sure a few of them were, were true. You know, I'm sure the, the lyrics apply to a number of different situations and that's why you'd explore that theme or that idea. Um, yeah. And he would just reference them to the audience um, either with great sincerity. I wrote this because of this reason or just, uh, you know, <laughs> just, just uh, <laughs> toss some shit into the audience and see if it comes back. Yeah. Your publishing company in one ear and out your mother. Uh, I love that. Uh, you know, my brother Jeff says that you are the undisputed king of the pun. Tell us about your process for naming songs and albums. You you certainly have a knack for it. <laughs> Do you want to know that that story? That I, I love that story. It was, we were on tour, and this would have been, well, you did Loud Love Publishing on the first, on Definite Ultra Mega OK and Loud Than Love. Uh, came up with that, you know, that the title Louder Than Love was certainly had a, a bit of a play on Hotter Than Hell. And I think that was an album title first or just a potential album title. And then Chris wrote a song out of it. And it was also our publishing company. And then at some point we're, we're on tour and our manager, Susan Silver, our longtime manager at that time, Chris's, Chris's girlfriend, I don't think they're married yet. She told us that we should really come up with our own, publishing companies were like well why well because there's other work that's happening you know chris chris had written some songs uh, he wrote a song submitted a couple songs for alice cooper alice cooper's a and r guy was 
was a friend of ours and tried to sign us to Epic, a guy named Bob Pfeiffer. And he, and he said, hey, would you, would you guys be interested in writing songs for Alice? I said, sure. Uh, and then eventually he talked to Chris and had Chris submit a couple things and Alice used one of them. But in that case, that's not going to be Loud Love public Publishing. That's not a Soundgarden thing. And I think Chris, I think it was a single soundtrack and Chris did a solo thing on that. He, after, you know, the Temple of the Dog project was another example, which was, uh, you know, out, writing outside of Soundgarden. And that proceeded, that was concurrent with Bad Motor Finger. I mean, around that period, you know, Andy Wood passed away and Hero left the band after Loud and Love. We got Jason in the band and we parted with Jason, got, got Ben, Chris did Temple of the Dog. He wrote with, uh, you know, Jeff and Stone and, and, and Mike and those guys. And he did some of his own writing. So at that point, it was like, let's come up with, Susan suggests we come up with separate uh, publishing companies just to address this issue. You know, Chris is writing for, for Temple and he's, he's done a couple of solo things. He's, he's submitted songs for other people. Like I think uh, Alice, I th- believe at uh, Flotsam and Jetsam. And then those opportunities would probably come by for, you know, me and Matt and Ben or, and Hero had left the band. So, well, how does that change things? We've always been a democratic band. Everything's split four ways. It's like, well, that won't change. It says, well, everything will still be shared four ways, especially since we're getting a new guy in the band, Ben, and we want to incorporate him fully into the band as a songwriter and a partner. Everything will still be shared four ways. We'll just uh, have different publishing companies to address, you know, work outside of the band. And And then we thought, okay, cool. And, Chris and I retreated to our bunks in the bed. We had finished sound check. You know, we finished our little band meeting. We talked to Susan and, and I get into my bunk. The, I think it was the upper bunk on the rear right side. And Chris got into his bunk, the upper bunk on the rear left side. I'm surprised that he was across the hall from me because he'd have to endure my snoring all night. <laughs> but he, he rarely slept in the buses anyway. So, so we were both across from each other with our little bunk curtains closed. Chris may may have headphones on, maybe trying to listen to some music, tune out my snoring. I'm probably reading something. And then Chris calls over to me, goes, Kim, I think I have an idea from my publishing company. I go, what? He goes, I make music, you make me sick. And I just started cracking up and and the the lights were all down. We're in this, we're in our bunk hallway area and, and the lights are off, I think, because someone else might have been in there sleeping, or maybe some crew guys or the driver or something. And so we're like repressing our laughter. And I just, my stomach's hurting just sitting there going, <laughs> and, and he's doing the same thing. And you're going, <laughs> and we're just cracked up. Oh, fucking great. And then, and then we eventually calm down and stop laughing. And I go, Chris, yeah. In one year, out your mother. And it just starts up again. It was just that quickly. Susan has the meeting, tells us that. We go to try to nap, and it said napping. Chris whips that one out, and then I whipped out a, in one year out your mother. And I, I don't think I don't think our stomachs hurt any more than that. The laughter is the little giggling and snorting and like a bunch of little kids at a sleepover. Try not to wake up your parents because then dad has to go and drive you home, drive your guest home. <laughs> so it, it, that was great. That's the, that's the inception of that. And then, and then, uh, Matt later on said, hit us with Walpurge's night music. And I thought, okay, well, where's the laugh? (laughs) 
<laughs> One song um, on this set in Detroit, you wrote, um, in fact, uh, the song Kickstand you performed. Tell us about that song. Well, Chris wrote the lyrics. I wrote the music. We, we'd throw that one in every now and then because it was quick. It was short. It was fast. It, it worked the same way live as it worked on the album. It's sort of like this. You get a lot of heavy and dark, and then all of a sudden you get something that's it's physical, it's got a few little interesting variations on Ramon's chords, you know, and and and, and just kind of comes in like that. And it's 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 short, it's sweet, both thematically and in and in its length. And uh, um, it can fit most anywhere. <laughs> I've I've really enjoyed your collaborations with Brandy Carlisle. You know, on the surface, it may not seem like that would be a good fit, but it is a good fit. And I would love for you to talk about how that, how those collaborations came together. Well, Brandy reached out to us. Uh, let me try to remember the specifics there. She had been a fan, of course. She has such a beautiful voice and such a strong, powerful voice that you could understand why she regard, you know, you know, Chris's singing. And apparently, she would sing "Black Hole Sun" in in a in smaller club situations when she when she was younger. Um, I'm trying to I don't want to get the story wrong, but if I remember correctly, there were certain clubs or bars she'd hang out at, and she performed. I don't know I don't know if it's open mic or just you know small gig or whatever. She and she played it, and the twins, Hensroth. Uh, 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 yeah, her, Tim and Phil. Yeah. Uh, I hope it, it, not Tom and Paul. Uh, they were fans and and of, of Soundgarden as well. So I think she came up with the idea of, of recording a version of Black Hole Sun, and then it was her choice also to do Searching for My Good Eye Clothes, which I think was a brilliant choice. Um, Black Hole Sun is an obvious choice for especially for someone who's who, who's such a great songwriter and singer as, as Brandy. That certainly Black Hole Sun would be something that would make sense. She could do it, and it would make sense for her to do, to do that. And she sang with us at uh, the Chris Tribute concert in 2019. She she did Black Hole Sun with us. She did a great job. Yeah. So when she said she's going to record it, I thought, all right, cool. We'd like you and Ben and Matt to play on it. thought, you mean we have to relearn this song? We haven't played this song in years. <laughs> so that seemed like a, a a fun opportunity to go into the studio with her. And and the recording engineer the, was, was Nate Uchino, who is our guy, who had been a bass tech and guitar tech for us and an engineer assistant on everything we recorded since we got back together in 2010. The, the Telephantasm single, King Animal, um, he assisted on live and I on live and I five when that was being mixed and produced by Adam Casper. So he's working with Brandy. He's just that guy. He's just a level professional quality, you know, he, and he's working with her. So it just kind of seemed like everything seemed natural. It seemed like we'd always been there, you know, just the way, the way they were very friendly, lovely, receptive, their relationship with Nate and, and he being part of the Soundgarden family. We we recorded it and she tracked the vocals and 
it's one of those rare experiences where you get we get shivers up and down your spine because the performance is so beautiful and emotive and powerful. Uh, I, I had that experience probably the first time I saw Eddie sing with with uh, Mookie Blaylock before it became Pearl Jam and Mike McCready playing guitar with them. And I heard him do, it might have been Even Flow, and, and I was like, whoa, got those shivers. I think I got it when I saw Temple the Dog, when I had an opportunity to see them play. God, who are they opening for? It might have been, they might have been playing with Nirvana or something weird. But they just did a short set, and it's like, wow, I never get to see Chris and Matt play. I'm always standing behind Chris or off to the side from Matt. And now I'm here watching them. And I got that feeling. Or listening to Jeff Beck play, or specifically listening to Jeff Beck do the Beatles song, Day in the Life. I heard Brandy sing, searching with my good eye closed. And I was like, geez. It would, she does a great job of Black Hole Sun. She nails that. But searching with my good eye closed, that song had never sent that shiver up my spine until I heard her sing it. And Chris does an amazing job. He says, it's just, when Chris does it, it's powerful, it's beautiful, it's head spinning, it's psychedelic. Brandy does it, and it's 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 just his other element. It's beautiful and it's it's trippy and it's you know it's, it's the difference between you know a uh, deep, strong, physically strong singer like Chris, and then a and then a powerful. You know what it was? It was kind of like a lilt. Like she had this trippy lilt to the song that it was just it was very moving it works yeah but take to listen to those listen to those side side by side i mean chris singing black hole sun with with us is just it's just amazing um brandy singing it with us it's like a, it's just a different thing it's just like there's she just showed a different part of that song and it was i received it you know emotionally and physically differently than yeah. than uh, other versions I've heard. That response was more to searching by good eye closed. But they both they both definitely have different interpretations of a black hole sun similar. It's it's a style of voice, but um it's searching my good eye closed is the one that sent the shivers. Those those songs are from the nineties, you know, in in your final shows, you did put in a lot of songs from King Animal, uh, by Crooked Steps was one of them. Um, a thousand days before was one. Uh, been away too long. The set we're looking at in Detroit. What do you think of those songs? And, and do you think those have held up as well as anything else? Well, I, I think so. My perspective is entirely different. You know, I'm listening as you know one of the producers and writers. I guess I'd have to get the <laughs> the feedback from fans. Certainly a different different you know a different time, a different time in the lives of many of our um, fan base, you know, who may have followed us for 30 years, a different time in our lives. But I think those, those songs are, are, uh, were all fairly strong and fun to play live. The song by Crooked Steps is one of the first ones we wrote for King Animal. And it definitely has a viscerality, also weird time signature, just like My Way, which is, which was, in five four, it would get people jumping up and down. They they all eventually go out of sync because it's not in four four. So, and my crooked steps is kind of the same thing. It has a viscerality, and you want it's propulsive and it makes you want to kind of 
move or jump, but it's not in four four common time. So it it <laughs> it, it it's that's a bit of a messing with someone's head, I suppose. That was not our goal, but that's a bit of that when you have something that's so physical and compelling, and yet it's it's, it's tough to move to. That was a song that Matt brought it, and then it was his 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 uh, initial groove and riff, and then. Ben and I wrote a few things around that groove to add to it, and that was certainly dear to us because it's one of the first things that that we had written, um, and we were we all of us were collaborating on that, which was definitely the most fun in in, in working on the song. Um, we never expect that to be a single, but fellow drummer Dave Grohl decided. He, he certainly read what Matt had put into that song, and as a as a drummer, he loved it too, and came up with a uh, came up with a treatment, some copy that he submitted to Matt. He goes, "If you ever want to do a video, we should do something like this." And next thing you know, it's like, well, we were planning on releasing this as a single. There's some other song we probably would have released a thousand days before as a single, for instance. But because of the interest in this, we decided to flesh flesh that out. You mentioned "My Wave" is is another song with that's not in a four four time signature, and I noticed that you always paired "My Wave" and "The Day I Tried to Live" together. All these these shows, they were maybe you switched the order, but they were paired together. Was that on purpose? Yes, because they had the same guitar tuning. We didn't just use different signatures, which we could adjust just by uh you know planting our feet differently on stage i suppose but with different tunings you needed a new guitar so there were a few times where matt made the set list and you know he he plays guitar but he wasn't our guitarist so he'd make a set list thinking about uh the demands of his instrument and about the the varying the tempos to keep things interesting both for what he he has to do and then how he expects it to be interesting for the audience. But sometimes he'd make sets where I was changing my guitar, you know, every other song or every song. I I think there's probably an instance where I changed my guitar, every song, like five or six songs in a row. And I just look for my answer. Can't do this anymore. This is retarded. You play a song. And and by retarded, I mean, slow impaired as you just, just in, it's what it would do. It's like we end a song and I'd walk off stage to go get another guitar. And then Chris is like, well, where's the next song? It's like, it'll happen when I have a guitar that's, that's tuned for that song. So that he'd have to, you know, each time after each song, Chris would have to talk to the audience and, and address them and, 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 and throw something out there. I don't know, a little backstory about, about, about the song while I'm getting a new guitar on and they had to turn on the, uh, Turn on the every, every time you change the guitar, you'd, you'd get a new. We use wireless after a while, so you had to turn on the new wireless transmitter. And yeah, that we did that a few shows, and then decided like we're not going to do that. We're going to we're to put guitars and similar tunings together if we're going to uh, um, make that work. And that's why my way was paired with Dad tried to live because of that E E B B B E tuning. Makes sense. So I've heard that you're the band's archivist 
Um, is that true? And and if so, what kinds of things do you have in the vault, Kim? <laughs> well, I'm an archivist in that I am the guy who would remember generally what we did and when and stuff that you know we should get to or or uh, what if we want to make compile a, a record like Echo of Miles what what material would make that cut offhand anyone in the band could probably think of you know maybe a dozen songs or so in my head I had close to four dozen and as I went into it it was like like 50 songs and we had to leave a few off of it you know just just for space so i'm not an archivist in that i don't know the date it was recorded or what tape it may or may not have been on or what session it was from or did we do this at a overseas for a tv show or i mean generally i have some memory of, of, of those details if i don't have it ben might have it or matt might have it or chris would have had it or hero might have it so it's just a lot to keep track of, and I just did a better job of it than anyone else. But that's not to say that it would earn the title archivist. Nothing's nothing's logged or filed or shelved or or organized. My own record collection is is generally alphabetical, but then it doesn't make sense when you got some when you got you know a collection of Ramones records and you know major label records and some are like classic rock and then you got a bunch of indie punk rock and and then then demos that people give you here's my cd it's like well, do you want this get this guy you met in some bar right next to like you know your your judas priest album it's like well wait a minute now if i want to find that how the hell am i going to find that i'll put it with the other demos that i was given and you know just try to remember where i got it from you mentioned uh, a little bit at the beginning to talked about encores, but um, you know this Detroit show. You your encore is Rusty Cage and Slaves and Bulldozers, and what what makes a good encore for you? Rusty Cage seems to me like a sensible song for an encore if you're going to bring it home with a good song that people love and might be fun to play. Sometimes we, sometimes we end with Rusty Cage, but more often than not, we'd end with Slaves yeah. because it was it was kind of a jam song, and it would we never you know. There was a basic framework that we play in order to support the vocals and the lyrics. But then certain sections would just, they could meander and go on. The jam sec- sections with the guitars and the bass would jam, Matt would jam. It, just, it would meander. Sometimes we'd go off in different directions and Matt would have to play a gatekeeper and bring everyone back in to the yard. So like, okay, we're, we've lost this one. Let's come back in. Sometimes we'd all be on the same page and be a trippy, transcendent jam. And we just let that happen. And it, it fed into our, what became a sort of rit- ritualistic ending, which was the feedback thing that that uh, Ben and Chris and I would, well, usually, usually either, I, I don't know, it was either I would start it or Ben would start it. But I think back in the day, we would do it when Hero was in the band. So I think it's usually I would start it and Hero would start it. Chris would join in, but then he'd leave stage. And then eventually it was just Chris's guitar going, and then me and uh, uh, Ben, you know, inflecting the feedback to try to simulate music or some kind of pattern or or just just making a wall of, uh, you know, impressionistic sound. And because it ended up recorded and on the album um, Live from the Artist Den, we decided... 
and it was it was like four or five minutes long or something. We we decided it deserved a title itself. It wasn't just the end of of uh, slaves and bulldozers. So we we, we coined it feed bacchanal. There's there there's there's that pun thing that your brother pointed out. So feed bacchanal and um, it had always been part of our set as a set feedback jam, like some kind of weird noise jazz improv trip out with the delays and squealing and and humming and size of bulldozers feeds into that pretty well yeah well i think that is a perfect way uh to wrap up kim thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us it's always a pleasure it's great seeing you it's been so long it's great seeing you, Jay. I think the last time I saw you, I was staring at hummingbirds, hummingbirds around around a feeder on your patio. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. Well, hopefully it won't be that much longer before we see each other again. But thank you again for talking with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank both of you. And um, we'll do it again. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.